I believe with every fibre of my being that the course I have set out is the right one for our country and all our people. What has been achieved today is not Brexit. I don't believe this government has negotiated fairly or effectively. Brexit is a lose-lose situation. We have always followed the EU mandate. It is utterly unacceptable to anybody who believes in democracy. Hello and welcome to Brexit The Final Countdown. I'm Rebecca Hudson and this week I'm overjoyed to be joined by Kate Andrews, Associate Director of the Institute of Economic Affairs. Hello. Hello, thanks welcome. for having me. You're welcome. You're also a Question Time viral sensation. Did you know that? I, I did not know that. Those are your words, not mine. <laughs> Put it in your Twitter bio. I'm always, we're always excited when someone from the TV is here. Um, so congrats on your, your staggering um, appearance on that. When was that? A couple, couple, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, well yeah. done. Oh, thanks. Um, also in the room is this podcast's answer to James Cleverly, Paul Baldwin, <laughs> uh, who last week just didn't show up for the I, podcast. I don't even know what that means. It means you didn't show up for the podcast, and I spent oh, and I spent uh, most of the podcast just berating an empty chair because uh, I was a little annoyed that you didn't show. But thanks, thanks for getting us into your. No one would have noticed week. then, would they? It would just been a normal podcast. Oh. oh, great! Three three seconds in, brilliant. Um, and the one consistent in our life, it's Joe Barnes, our Europe editor, down the line in Brussels. Hello. 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 Okay, we have 79 days until Brexit Day, 29 days until the election. So it's a real festival of democracy at the moment um, and plenty to discuss. So let's begin. I'm very keen on an order for this podcast, Kate, as you'll know, as a, as a keen listener. Um, yeah, I like, we like to have a running order and I couldn't figure out how to do it today. So I thought what we would do is we'll use as a kind of jumping off point uh, the David Gork uh, story from last night and this morning um, and then I'd love to talk about the kind of broader implications of the Brexit party Tory alliance pact unilateral whatever you want to call it if that's okay <laughs> um, so for the uninitiated uh, David Gork who is the former justice secretary um, and who was one of the Tories who lost their whip and was expelled from the party after he voted against a no deal Brexit has announced that he'll be running as an independent candidate as his constituency in, in southwest Hertfordshire uh, he said that a conservative majority would be a bad outcome for the country and uh, would lead to a very hard Brexit being pursued. Instead, he's going to back a second referendum um, and kind of has said that the the reason that he's running as an independent is because of this peace offering that Johnson has made to the Brexit party um, on Saturday, where he said that there'd be no extension to the post-Brexit transition period in 2020 and that we are most likely pursuing a Canada-esque trade deal. So that's the background. Uh, good background. Yeah, that was good, wasn't Excellent it? Normally summary. I never get through the introduction without a, a, a little interjection from the man on your, to your no, side. You've empty chaired me. Yeah, I have. I, I'm keen to chastise you. You're probably not showing up for the podcast, Kate. Anyway, um, so that's going to happen. And that's like a big symptom of what happened earlier in the week when Farage announced that the Brexit party won't be fielding candidates uh, in the 300 or so uh, seats that the Tories won in 2017. Is this going to dramatically change the outcome of the election, Kate? Uh, well, will Farage's move um, help Boris Johnson to some extent? Of course, not standing in the seats that can that the Conservatives won in 2017 will be a relief to the party. Obviously, um, you know, more hopeful probably than the day before that Boris Johnson will be back in number 10 in some capacity. But the question is, how is he there and does he have that majority? And actually, the Brexit Party is still standing in those swing seats that the Conservatives would really need to take off the Labour Party in order to get a majority is going to be problematic. 
Um, and I think you you could argue that the Brexit Party didn't stand much of a chance in those you know strong conservative seats, but they might have made it slightly easier for the Labour Party to come in. Nigel Farage is still positioning himself right now anyway to be a party that the Conservatives might have to go into a coalition with if they failed to get that majority. So you know I'm not sure that it's the compromise that many people are claiming it was. I think um, in terms of what Farage still wants to achieve, he's really got the possibility there. Um, but of course, you know, you're just seeing that fundamental split in the Conservative Party and the Labour Party, that this realignment of politics has been rushed and hurried up because of Brexit. And I think you can see that from David Gock's comments, you know, the idea that the former cabinet minister would be saying, I, I don't want a Tory majority couldn't have even been imagined. Yeah, you know, I mean, three or four years ago, staggering list of, of Tory rebels, you know, kind of arguably the sort of centre-right Tories who have now, you know, have left the party. You've got Ken Clark, David Gork, Justin Greening, Dominic Grieve. I mean, these are people who are standing as independents, have resigned. I mean, it's, yeah, kind of the people who occupied that more sort of centrist ground are not finding a home in in the Tory party of 2019. What do you reckon? I don't know. I, 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 oh. First thing is, there's a, there's a long, long month ahead of us. And um, we've, I've, Covered a lot of elections, and they can turn on a on a moment somewhere down the line that makes everything that went before it completely irrelevant. Something like um, oh, that bigoted woman uh, at that moment for Gordon Brown. Do you think that lost him the election? That things, was terrible. That hot like mic, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, Ed Miliband and the and the bacon sarnie, unforgivable. Kinnikin, was it Kinnikin the glue ear? Probably a bit oh, before I don't know. Time, yeah, a little before my time. There's a lot. The dementia tax. Lot of the dementia yeah, yeah, manifesto right. that Why? they thought was their stable yeah. policy. She and she, you turned on it before she even got back to number ten that day. It was on the but, but, <laughs> but it can turn on something that seems at the time so um, sort of transient and, and irrelevant. But but it, it can turn on that, and it can make everything that went before it irrelevant however important it seemed at the time so it's hard to absolutely judge but I, my, my feeling is that um i mean if you look at the collapse in the in the brexit party vote uh i think um they'll become pretty irrelevant in any constituency they're standing it's already down to four percent and it's only going down from there not up from there right as far as i'm concerned oh so you both are of the opinion that this kind of wasn't a, a dramatic we're putting country before party moment from farage and tice at all you think it was more just... No, actually, I no, I do a bit. I mean, I think Farage, um, he had so many people in his own party from his own side saying, you're really putting Brexit at risk by standing against the Conservatives. I think it was actually quite a big moment for him and a humbling moment from him to make the decision that he did. But I guess I guess what I'm highlighting is that it's not totally obvious that in, this, in the seats that he's promised not to stand in, that the Brexit party would have picked up many, if at all, um, any seats. Um, and so where he's still contested I think are areas where he hopes he can really push the Conservatives into a more hard Brexit position. Um, so I'm just not sure it's, you know, this amazing giveaway to the Conservatives that many people have framed it. But no doubt, as as, as you say, um, by him doing this, in, in many ways, he's almost suggesting, he's being more generous to voting for the Conservative Party, right? He's suggesting to his own voters that a vote for the Conservatives is not a betrayal of Brexit. Right. This is like the £32,000 jackpot on who wants to be a millionaire rather than the million pound giveaway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. Like, you sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. like, it's fine. We've kind of want to give you that but I don't want to yeah I'd accept it it's a I, nice sum <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness we won't have to podcast anymore <laughs> remember as well fielding 600 candidates is a very expensive business and there was a question mark over whether they'd actually got the cash and the the you know the the infrastructure to do that um so it may have been slightly more self-interested than even we thought um, oh really, um, Mr. Farage? <laughs> clearly, <laughs> driven by self-interest, um, you su- you surprised well, me. Well, no, and you know, uh, at the end of the day, 
we've said a million times it, it was a you know it's, it's a pressure group not a political party and it's done its job and it needs to back away and let the grown-ups get on with it now if they possibly can but as they've shown over the last three years yeah, it's more of a crash. It's a crash. more of a crash, you're Joe, you've been kind of hobnobbing with the Brexit Party MEPs, haven't you, over there in Brussels? What are they saying? I mean, was this is was this a shock move? What's the vibe? Um, well, the the amusing thing is, um, and from people I've spoken to in the party, it was kept very secret. So even candidates didn't know they were going to be stood down. So we kind of think it was only Nigel Farage and Richard Tice, who is standing in Hartlepool and he's the party's chairman who actually knew the plan to kind of not stand against us. And it's really caused quite big divisions amongst amongst MEPs and amongst potential candidates. So we've seen a lot of criticism um, from MEPs and candidates that have been stood down. Um, we've seen people like Lance Foreman, um, Rupert Lowe say, message me to say, look, we, we did the right thing. Uh, we don't want to stand in the way of kind of Boris Johnson delivering Brexit, but we need to be there to keep, uh, keep his feet to the fire. But then... You, you can you can only look at Twitter and there's two MEPs, um, Alexander Phillips and Louis Stedman Bryce, who have both been stood down and they've been absolutely furious with Nigel Farage. They've basically said Alex is not even she said she's not even going to vote in the general election for the first time ever because she she would have only voted Brexit Party. She doesn't want to vote Conservative. She thinks that's a kind of fry Brexit. And basically the allegation is that Nigel Farage and the Brexit Party have pitched to change politics for good. Actually, no, they've just completely reversed on that. They've alienated their would-be Labour voters because um, because because those aren't they they aren't ever going to go to the Conservative Party. Well, it's very very small chance they go to the Conservative Party. So it's it's all a bit of a all a bit of a kind of a blunder in HQ Brexit Party and kind of a, this big row. Although Joe, I was going to say presumably in, in the new year we can uh, we we'll wait for the arise uh, Nigel of Ilford. Well, yeah, I mean this is what I was going to say. What Finish your point, Joe, and then Sorry, and then I'd love to know why we. All, I mean, um, Kate's got her theory that it was because maybe they they weren't going to make the big the biggest splash. But why else we what else we thought might have motivated this decision? But finish your point, Barnsley. Um, let, like that, that's, so that's one thing I was going to say. It was I was told last night that basically um, people were getting worried in the party that they were too close to the old conservative kind of donors, like people like Aaron Banks, who is. Nigel Farage's friend of a long time is the biggest political con- contributor and donator. Um, and you've got Richard Tice, who is kind of, he was a Conservative member, I believe, before kind of establishing the Brexit Party. And basically, one allegation was they've all been kind of dangled these tasty treats and they've all gone to the presents under the Tory tree ahead of Christmas. Um, and they basically thought they basically kind of given up their kind of. Brexit is a, it doesn't have a party system. Brexit is for the people. They've gone, actually, no, Brexit is a conservative policy and it's only for conservatives to deliver. Okay, what do you think of that? Well, I, I think that, you know, there's some reality in that, surely. I mean, if you want to deliver political change, you have to be in office to do so. And it was becoming clearer and clearer that actually the Brexit party standing may not prove that fruitful, but if it did, it might actually um, allow Labour to sneak through, which was not the goal of the Brexit party. I'm sure, you know, any Labour or Lib Dem listener might like to hear that, but that wasn't the goal of the Brexit party because, um, you know, they very cleverly during the European elections brought in people from the left and the right you know, people who were former communists and Marxists to free marketeers. And they said, we're all going to work together to deliver Brexit. But at the end of the day, that's not actually a public policy 
position, right? It's only one public policy position to, to support Brexit, but how else do you coalesce around any ideas around education or healthcare or spending or the rest? Um, and and that's why I think uh, the Brexit Party would would struggle to stand in certain areas. Uh, but also, once Brexit's done and you're in a coalition with conservatives, where on earth do you go from there? You know, what does the party actually, what's it angling for? It's not the tuition fees days of the Lib Dems. You know, what is their public policy apart from Brexit? It's a big question mark, which makes it hard to agree to any kind of coalition. Yeah. Oh, so maybe that sort of fancy, that flush gig in the House of Lords was pretty tempting for Mr. Farage because he was looking at the, down the barrel of a P45, perhaps. He, he has said that he's been offered it before and turned it down, but maybe he's come to that time of life where he realises the writing's on the wall. It would be a lovely it, life, wouldn't it? Vermin in ermine time. <laughs> Very good. Hello. What, what we do know about Nigel, though, is he wants to go and move to America. He said that publicly a number of times. Is the House of Lords really going to convince him? What I think is, is more of his alliances with people like kind of Aaron Banks, um, who have told him and been public about it as well, to actually get behind the Tories, don't stand in the way of them, because we want Brexit. So maybe that's more his motivation. Yeah. Well, he is he is electoral gold. And you kind of mentioned this earlier, Kate, that this is now Farage is endorsing Boris as if you want Brexit done, Boris is Boris will deliver Brexit. So I imagine that Tory HQ are, are probably quite happy with this. And yeah, they'd like him to go further and maybe stand down in those sort of 20 Labour leave seats. But this is Nigel Farage, who we know is very good at communicating and all that kind of stuff. Great on Twitter. I, I thought it was interesting, Joe, just to touch on what you said, the, the Aaron Banks, um, who has been a massive funder of both UKIP and the Brexit Party, warned um, uh, Nigel that if he hadn't done this by Friday, he was going to launch a tactical voting app to oh my goodness. scupper the Brexit Party as well. Oh, um, Aaron V. Gina. So it was, it was a bit toe-to-toe, Aaron. Oh, yeah, no. Actually, you know, so <laughs> Everyone's a, got an app these days. There was a lot of pressure on, on Nigel on to do, the, you know, do, the, do what he did, basically. It's yeah. funny because we talk about country before party or party before country, but actually what people are coming to terms with is that it is Brexit, right? You know, it's not country, it's not party. It's do you want Brexit or don't you want Brexit? And unfortunately, we're now in our second general election to decide that. It would have been really nice if that it could have been decided a few years ago. We're, we're asking the public yet again. But that is the question. It's the only question, yeah. really. Well, I guess that's the million dollar question then to carry on with my who wants a billionaire, billionaire very yeah. vague yeah. analogy. <laughs> D- does this get us any closer to Brexit? And what kind of Brexit does this mean we'll get at the end of January? Well, to David Gock's point that he doesn't want a Tory majority, I mean, I understand why that would be his particular position, but I think whether you're, you know, a serious Remainer, a serious Lever, you want consensus, right? I mean, it has been over three years now, and the infighting has been intense. It's distracted from every other ma- major public policy issue, whether that be housing or health care. And the idea that you would want to go back into some kind of hung parliament baffles my mind. I mean, we, we just, we need some clarity we need some focus there has to be a pathway forward um and you know i understand people have very different ideas about what it should be but the idea we would go back to muddling through and having you know lost vote after lost vote i mean you have to stop calling it the meaningful vote right because it's not meaningful they were just votes (laughs) they were just votes they weren't successful opposite of meaningful so you so do you think so does, does this mean that we can achieve kind of boris's boris's deal which i know you're a fan of 
I think a it's a good deal. Yeah. Uh, well, if if he gets his majority, um, I think he would be able, you know, to go into a new parliament, actually potentially hold a meaningful vote on that deal, which which I do think um, is is fundamentally different from Theresa May's deal um, in the key areas where it matters, like the backstop, getting rid of the backstop, bringing all of the UK out of the customs union, and also the political declaration, which is, you know, it's it's been hinted at. That's one of the reasons that Nigel Farage has been more generous this week is because Boris has made clear in his deal and also saying again this week, we are aiming for free trade deals. You know, we want the UK to be out there with the EU in a free trade deal, but also with many other countries. And that's very different from what Theresa May put on the table, which was basically full alignment with the EU being a rule taker and not having a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you think, but you're not convinced this is going to swing the dial to make it a kind of no brainer 13th of December. Can't wait. Boris is in at number 10, thanks to Nigel. Oh, and we get I his Brexit. I would not make any, um, I, I, I don't think anybody should be that optimistic about any outcome that they want. <laughs> I mean, after looking at the past few years. Uh, but I, I mean, if I were the Conservative Party, I'd be happier today than I was seven days ago. Yeah. Paul, are you happy about this news? Uh, I'm, I to remain ambivalent about the news as a professional journalist, obviously. Um, and <laughs> You're above just ambivalent it all. about timekeeping. That's the only ambivalence <laughs> I've ever witnessed. But I, I, I think, I've said all along, and it's just a gut feeling, really, that uh, I think Boris will achieve a fairly comfortable majority. Because this all feels, to those of us old enough to remember, like the 80s. Um, mm, and there, there are so many... Look at this room, there, Paul. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There, there are so many massive parallels with momentum and the sort of guiding Labour Party to the hard left mm-hmm. and um, what used to be Derek Hatton and the militant tendency guiding Ma- Michael Fulton and then Kinnock until he stood up and said, have no more to the hard left. And it made the party unelectable. And even though people said, oh yeah, we'll vote Labour, we've always voted Labour, actually they were trashed again and again until, uh, in fact, uh, there's a Kinnock speech in 1985 and it says this... Um, because it's really telling. It's just, he could have said it yesterday. I will tell you what happens with impossible promises. You start with far-fetched resolutions, and then they are pickled into rigid dogma. And you go through the years sticking out, sticking to that outdated dogma, misplaced, irrelevant to the real world, and you end up with the grotesque chaos of a Labour council scuttling around the city, handing out redundancy notices to its own workers. And that's like a really famous political speech. But he could have said it yesterday. It's the same thing happening again. And it's like those who don't learn the lessons of history are condemned, I'm afraid, Mr Corbyn, to repeat them. Okay. You know? so uh, I, I, I think there'll be. I think Boris is in for a comfortable majority. Comfortable majority. Yeah. Okay, well, you've segued really nicely onto the Labour Party there. I'm very grateful to you for playing ball I on the podcast today, Paul. I can't running. even tell you. Um, so they also have had their fair share of kind of casualties already a couple of weeks in. Ian Austin, John Woodcock, both kind of Labour stalwarts saying that they would rather that they're supporting Boris rather than Jeremy Corbyn because I don't think Corbyn's cut out for the job at number 10. Nobody does. I don't even think Corbyn does. <laughs> yes, he does. He said he's, he, did you see he's, he's, he's promised he's gonna, he was going to deliver a full term? He's going to have a few early term. nights and an old routine and yeah. he'll be fine. No, he says he's serving off, he wants to be a full-term prime minister because he he's indeed. fit and healthy. Yeah. We remember those workout pictures of him in the gym, <laughs> in the outside gym. He's so sinewy oh, and, oh, he just yeah. needed a sandwich. Um, <laughs> so, so, yes, so, they, so they've had their fair share of casualties and they are desperate to make this conversation about anything other than Brexit, aren't they? They just want to spend money. They do want to spend money. Like spend, we're in a hip-hop spend. video yep, in absolutely. a strip club. Yep. I mean, they, it's just, you know that 
meme where people throw dollar bills. Do you yeah, know? No, like, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's what I feel like. Yeah. If we were trapped in a gift, that's what this would or, be. Uh, I've seen a lot of those gifts going around right? on social media. Yeah, it's like yeah. Thug Life, Corbin and McDonald's. Will take your money and spend it three times? <laughs> yeah. um, yesterday, we had Angela Rayner and Corbin out unveiling their three billion pound education pledge, which is about expanding education. And today, uh, we're hearing about their NHS policy. Uh, they're going to outspend Boris with a 26 billion real term increase in the health service budget by 2023. I mean, this is a lot of cash, isn't it? Well, it's been estimated to be up to 1.2 trillion. Um, if you could take into account what they want to borrow, what they plan to tax, and then what they just haven't even accounted for yet. Um, I saw some calculations this week that um, I think they were I think they were out of CCHQ to, to be fair, but I, they actually were relatively conservative, and they suggested that just looking at what they haven't costed at all, it could be the average worker's pay pack for a whole month. I mean, we're talking about really, really crazy spending promises, um, which you know I actually think a lot of people you know who are quite rational about this just know can't be delivered and they certainly know it couldn't be delivered by only taxing the very very wealthy more and only taxing corporations more and of course taxing corporations is taxing individuals like yeah. what do you think they are they're they're not just just these structures that produce money they're people they're faceless <laughs> yes, people no of course they're not and um <laughs> you know they're real people and they're workers as well uh so you know i i, I think people will realize that a lot of these promises are hugely grandstanding and, and couldn't be delivered in a in a responsible way i'm going to criticize the conservatives a bit though because you know they have engaged a bit in the spending war haven't I, they it's yeah. not like they're totally yeah, they're costed a bit the same game, yeah they? and yeah. and not you know it, it's very different to pledge tens of billions of, of uncosted money versus hundreds of billions i'm not trying to directly compare but they're just giving labor that leeway aren't they just to go a bit further because when the conservatives say we'll throw billions into the nhs well of course labor are going to respond by upping them yeah. what else are you going to do um so you know i think we all need to recognize that like these billions and billions of pounds have a real cost to them and the real cost if you borrow it is to future taxpayers down the road to kids to people not even born yet who have to pay that back it's not fair definitely sounds like uh, tomorrow's tomorrow's world's problem <laughs> you know, i just wanted to uh, give credit to kate uh, she had a line in a recent article in city am that under labor taxes will have to rise for the many not the few <laughs> I did. she is good you, you are pithy I f- your quotes are everywhere yeah, yeah, you yeah. really are oh, highly memeable we quote i, wait, yeah, I highly memeable you are highly memeable which is the which is the highest compliment we can pay i am hugely complimented um, good no good i have this is what this is about um do, do you think that the labor party is succeeding though in steering the conversation away from brexit like i mean you just add a couple of trillion to everything i mean no and actually i i don't this time around so in 2017 clearly they were yeah um but everybody th- you know there was a different election the expectations around it were different um but also you know now that we've had two more years over two more years of talking about brexit all day long. I think there's actually more recognition that this election has to be about Brexit. Uh, Because last time it was like, yeah, Brexit's there. We know it's happening. Let's talk about domestic policy. This time it's like, guys, get it together. Get it done. Because we don't take anything you say seriously about any other topic until this is sorted. And that's fair. That's a fair position for the public to take. I mean, so maybe they should mention it then at some point. I feel like I haven't heard anyone. on. It's like they've got a swear jar, haven't they, in Seamus's house because they just don't mention Brexit at the moment. Um, it is interesting, Kate. That was funny. As well. <laughs> <laughs> a swear jar. Oh, Seamus, that was so... Like, come on. I thought you'd used it one before. No, I know. Thank you. I'm going to... We want. I want to All get right. a button for a canned laughter. Yeah, on we'll don't do worry, the audience at home will be cracking. Yeah. I hope we caused yeah. a few car yeah. crashes with how side splitting that was. No, Sorry. I was going to say. Yeah. Um, how do you follow a gag yeah, like I know, that? I know. <laughs> <laughs> for the last three years, Parliament has only talked about um, Brexit and 
somehow the country has uh, gone on uh, rather well. Um, oh, un- un- I don't un- <laughs> no, unemployment is uh, uh, well. It's gone down three point six million since the Tories took office. Mm. So what I'm saying is, it kind of makes you wonder if we need MPs at all. Oh right. <laughs> oh okay. As the nation seems to be uh, oh. more than more than adept at getting on without them. Oh right. Um, well, they ramble on. <laughs> well, actually, uh, to uh, just uh, to pick up on that point, oh. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm I'm certainly no anarchist. We we do need structures. We do need government. However, <laughs> thank you, Kate. Um, no, however, there 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 um, the the lack of action in some areas has been welcome. I mean, in some areas, not so much. We have a housing crisis in the UK. Young people can't get on the housing ladder. Needs to be tackled. But in other areas you know they haven't been able to ban anything recently they haven't been able to tax anything more recently you know they haven't gone after the milkshakes quite yet and put a milkshake tax on anything to try to change how we behave and that's been very welcome <laughs> it's like about your parents so I don't know having a dinner party so you could just do whatever you want like yeah. you know they're, like in, the they're busy in the kitchen comes yeah, over, so yeah. you can just do whatever yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> so long may it continue, perhaps. Oh, so you just think, forget the whole thing, maybe, burn the whole yeah, thing. Maybe we'll just crack on without them and leave them to it. Oh goodness. Um, okay. So you, but you don't think either of you that Boris, that the Labour Party have been pretty successful in hijacking this election and making it about anything other than the B word. No, they, 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 um, no, I agree. I think it's the only yet. show in town to it quote is, a, a colleague of mine. Yeah, indeed. Um, and you know, the NHS, the NHS is a huge part of British national life, right? And it will always be a huge part of an election. But in this one, it, and it's usually the main part of the election, maybe. Mm. But it isn't now. Yeah. It's, it's a poor second place. And they're both investing in it, aren't they? Yeah. So it's kind of, and yeah, like, do you want to spend you have to remember about trillions the, the, or billions? The NHS is huge. It's The cost of the NHS is comparable with the GDP of a country like Pakistan. It's enormous. It's enormously expensive. And uh, £26 billion sounds like a lot of money. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, it probably isn't. But it still has to be costed. And... I think most, uh, I think most people like me would rather people, rather people in the NHS than politicians looked up why we're paying two pound a packet. Well, the NHS pays two pound a packet for aspirins that I can get for twenty eight p. In, oh. in Maybe you should be in charge of procurement for well, the NHS. Did you, somebody you should a career, be. A career somebody should be because they're clearly not. <laughs> You think the economy of scale there would be the biggest on the planet? Oh my goodness! It's almost uh, as if, yeah it's, uh, yeah, it's almost as if when you have a lot of bureaucracy, you get huge waste and inefficiencies. Oh my goodness! Listen to this, yeah. uh, Joe. F- as someone from afar looking into this election from um, overseas, do you think I'm going to ask the question again? Do you think the Labour Party have cut through any of these issues, or is it all just about the B word? Um, so, kind of looking at uh, Guy Verhofstadt yesterday, compared us to the House of Cards, Netflix box set and said look we can't there's no point trying to second guess anything because no one knows what's going on um and most people here have tried that could have been such a stronger analogy (laughs) sorry Um, no one knows what's going on no No, well that applies to loads of netflix series (laughs) and definitely brexit yeah yeah Yeah. from um an outside it kind of looks like everyone's having a bit of a locker so they've they've kind of they've they've seen the video um, cutting from the Conservative Party and the, the costings of the Labour kind of manifesto, um, the Lib Dems kind of coming out with all these mad figures, and everyone's just looking a bit kind of bewildered. It's like kind of the question is like, what is going on? Can you explain this? And it's very hard to because they're, they're asking you to explain. I, I, I don't <laughs> agree. Anyone. I think that's how everyone feels here, though, isn't it? Yeah, I yeah. think we're all yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. so because the Labour Party have registered a complaint with Ofcom, they 
want Sky to stop running. They, the Sky have kind of trailed this election as the Brexit election and they're trying to complain about it because they're trying to suggest that it's about so many other things other than Brexit. So they, I mean, in every sense, they're trying to steer the conversation off our exit from the European Union and make it about how much money they want to spend or because it's milkshakes or anything. splitting the Labour vote. Yeah. Uh, I was up in Fleetwood, did you know? Yes, Paul was in Fleetwood. Have um, you ever been there, Kate? It's, For the it's, benefit uh, of people who aren't from Fleetwood, where is it? It's in Lancashire. Lovely. A, it was uh, a huge fishing town. Yes. Uh, it is no longer a huge fishing town. Mm. Uh, it's always been a Labour stronghold, but it's also uh, a huge Brexit place now because um, the fishing industry there, this is why I went up to you know do a story, um, has been decimated. And it's complicated, but a big chunk of that is the common fisheries policy. And I talked to um, a lot of old um, trawler men who had fascinating stories, but some of, they don't have boats anymore because they were encouraged under the common fisheries policy to actually burn their boats. Um, they called you had to burn them below the below the waterline was the phrase. What destroy them in the water so they cannot be fixed. And if you go to Fleetwood and you look into some of the channels going into the port, they're just skeletons of, of old fishing boats, fishing oh. vessels. Left there, and he, and it's just inf- it's just very so, visceral, so anger yeah, yeah just of course, on every level. But it was some bizarre pen pushers attempt to control uh, fishing quotas. Mm. But as the twelve men were saying, why didn't they come and ask us how to do that? Yeah, you know, some bloke in Brussels, um, some academic or whatever, you know. Um, and, it, and it's just it's it just makes you it's kind of the the. Madness of the EU writ large, right there. So, so the people of Fleetwood, who are they going to vote for? Do you vote well, for kind of old Etonian Boris Johnson? Do you f- try and find a Brexit Party MEP, or do you vote kind of how you've been voting for forty years and vote Labour? Like what? It is the interesting Labour split because it is a, a you know it's a, a Labour voting town historically, uh, a working town, a fishing port, um, but this time um, because I think they were sixty four percent pro Brexit town in the um, referendum. And you wouldn't be surprised if it went to Boris. To Boris? Yeah. Yeah, well, he's now got the kind of halo effect of the... He has, absolutely. Of the, f- yeah. he's the double tick. Oh, of not being Labour. Yeah. Actually, is what he's not. He's of got, not being Labour. I, 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 I had an interesting conversation with a fisherman the other day, and they go off the line that Boris Johnson's Brexit deal is still kind of a betrayal of kind of British fishermen because of the political declaration promise to try and strike a fisheries deal, um, which agrees kind of access to both sides of the water, quotas and such, by yeah. 2020. Mm. So aren't these the people kind of crying out for the Brexit party who have then just sold them out because they've gone, actually, no, we've had Boris's deal now. Yeah. Okay, what were you going to say about Fleetwood? Uh, well, I was just going to say that it's interesting in this election that you have different parties fighting on multiple fronts and sort of, you know, getting into the territory of other parties because not only is the Labour Party, you know, They've got the Lib Dems right there who have a very clear Brexit position and the Labour Party is trying to be everything to everyone with their Brexit position. But then, of course, you also have Labour moving into the green space a bit. And that's something that isn't necessarily going to go down well in working class areas because I think everyone recognises the environment's a very important topic right now. You know, the idea that a lot of this would be solved through increased taxes, making it harder to fly, make you know, don't eat meat. This is where the Labour Party is starting to move into the green 
party's rhetoric, I think that would also go down quite badly. Yeah, so both, that's super patronizing. Don't yeah, go on, hol- I, don't I go on holidays unless you're Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Eh. Well, historically, yeah. the Labour Party and the Green Party always had this real tension because yeah. you know, the Labour Party said, you know, we want people to be more prosperous. And sometimes that, you know, that will mean that we have to balance that. There are trade-offs, basically. Mm. There are trade-offs to this. Um, but I think on the Brexit front, but also on the domestic front, the Labour Party's got polls there, as does the Conservative Party with the Brexit Party and the rest of it. You know, it's not just Labour. But, you know, everyone's trying to figure out where their votes may come from and also where they might go. Yeah, yeah. This, you're right. The spectrums in the parties now is mad. Like, yeah. no one is just a Tory anymore. You're kind no. you know, you're yeah. a, you're a yeah. pro-Brexit ERGer or you're a left-wing identifying former Labour. I mean, it's all, you know, yeah. the spectrum of identity. Or you're a, 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 a soft right Remainer, right? right? And where do you go? Well, I mean, yeah. These are all the questions. Yeah. Well, this yeah. is it with the, with the kind of alliance, if you can call it that, with the with Farage. I mean, they kind of, that very much has cemented their colours to a far right, hard Brexit kind of stance. So yeah, where do you go if you're from Surrey and just sort of, you know, send your kids to private school? Like, where do you go? Like, where, what do you vote for? I, I, like, what, what does that mean difficult. anymore? And, um, it's kind of instructive that um, probably most of my mates have historically voted Labour. Almost everyone I've spoken to said, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Because, you know, you want to think, I want to vote for someone who seems to know what's going on and is a bit brighter than me. That would be good. And, yeah. And they can't. No, <laughs> now we sound like Andrew Bridgen, don't we? And that awful <laughs> apology. Yeah, yeah, I mean. <laughs> well, this is anecdotal as well, but... Um, you know, you know my, my my friends range from you know sort of their mid twenties to mid early thirties, early forties, and um, almost all of them voted Remain. Mm-hmm. Almost all of them. But um, you know, it's interesting to speak to them now because even the ones who voted Remain, a lot of them just want this done. You right. know, they re- and and yeah, and they course. and they also yeah. recognize that if you bully people into voting for something more than once because they didn't vote the right way yeah. mm. for listeners, I'm, I'm using air quotes. Um, they didn't vote the right way the first time. Um, they know that that could happen to them. Right. Yeah. You know, when they vote for something that's radical or interesting or new and it goes through, well, what if someone makes you vote again? What if someone says it wasn't valid? So, you know, this has long term implications. Yeah. I think even, you know, young Remainers are recognizing that. Yeah. Well, we, we've said all along, it kind of, you know, you win some, you lose some. But at the end of the day, you have to respect <laughs> the rules of democracy yeah. and the rules of democracy. You, know, you have to back away and say, well, I didn't win that one. So I'm almost, I need to fight harder next time or whatever it is. But yeah. <laughs> You're seamlessly <laughs> echoing the sentiments of John Claude Juncker, easy for me to say, uh, who gave an interview to the BBC at the end of last week, where he agreed. He said, "It's been go- this has been going on for so long. I think you guys are definitely going to leave on the 31st of Jan. Is that right, Joe? Um, and kind of That's poured... Exactly what he said, yeah. Yeah, and poured cold water um, on the kind of Labour promise that they're going to go and renegotiate a different deal, put it back to the people, and we'll have a referendum all next year. Um, so I just, it feels like, ev- you know, even Europe, who wanted us to stay, mm. I think, for most for most of the last three years, are just kind of over it as well. Yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to add from that interview, Joe? It was kind of interesting. He also said he really liked Boris Johnson. Did you, yeah, he said, I really like him. Boris Johnson's a, uh, he's a really likeable kind of character. The more and more people I speak to who kind of, knew him from his kind of foreign office days. They, they kind of said that he's, a, he's actually a brilliant diplomat. He's a brilliant people's person. He will go on Wikipedia before meeting a foreign leader and find out what football team they support or what their favourite food is. And then he, we'll strike up a conversation. He's a journalist, him. isn't he? But at heart. That, yeah, exactly. He, he gets that from his, yeah, doing the research. That's the level of prep stuff. Paul does this podcast. <laughs> goes on Wikipedia. <laughs> exactly. All felt very familiar. Um, but the, the interesting thing was... Um, that he said is he was basically asked to kind of intervene in the election 
um, and how would he, as he's called them previously, counter the UK's lies about the EU? Um, and he said, no, I won't do it. He goes, it was a mistake for me to stick, not basically stick out of it and keep away from it in 2016, um, which he regrets because basically David Cameron asked him and said, look, John claude I would really appreciate if you didn't get involved in my campaign to try and remain. And he ultimately sees that as a bit of a failure now because the vote was the wrong way. Yeah. Do we think? Do we think having the likes of Jean Claude Juncker sort of appearing um, alongside Joe Swinson, etc., would help? <laughs> I'm not <laughs> like what? How, well, what do you think? I think it would be just as problematic as it was when Donald Trump rang into LBC to speak to Nigel Farage. I, you know, I don't think that kind of stuff goes no. down well, um, especially here in the UK. I mean, don't tell a Brit how to vote. No. Uh, it, it just, you know, and, and nobody likes to be told how to vote. That, you know, and and they don't feel like they need foreign leaders coming in. And we saw it in 2016 with Juncker, but also with. President Obama, you know, he came over, stood next to David Cameron, said, you'll be at the back yeah. of the queue for a trade deal. And I mean, that did not help. I mean, no. that went down really It was weird badly. as well. Yeah. No one really wanted that to happen. I feel like even Obama didn't really want to do that. It was kind of weird, wasn't it? Was, it? The whole thing yeah, was we weird. we don't like that. But, you know, whether it's the Brexit side with Trump or the Remain side with Juncker, I don't I don't think this really helps the public debate. Mm. I really don't. And I, I think the key goes in one year out the other, Don't tell it? a Brit how to vote. Yeah. That's why I hate tactical voting and this new sort of fad for basically we'll tell you how to vote in your constituency if you want to screw Boris well oh, you're not a fan of that I think is that because you don't know how to work those apps or <laughs> no, it's not, no uh, it's, I mean, it's not it's a new thing you. it's not a new thing oh, but not, it, it seems to be it seems to be uh, very fashionable at the moment and it seems it seems like a sort of undermining of democracy and also right vote for something you believe in not for not to stop something or stop something yeah like. it's like taking your football home because you you think the other side might win it's just <laughs> lo- it's just undignified and awful and, and gutless for yeah. Me. yeah yeah I completely we completely so, agree okay so no to tactical voting, just vote. You can sleep at night if you know that. Well, I guess no, it's because... It, it usually doesn't it, work anyway, so you wasted your vote. But we're, Brexit has divided the country. We are the Montagues and Capulets of Europe, aren't we? And so I guess it is the only show in town. It's the only thing anyone cares about. So if an app is going to help you deliver what you think is the right outcome for this country, then maybe they're okay. But it usually doesn't. Right? Oh, so what, well you'll, don't, what oh. you'll end up doing is thinking, oh, I've wasted my vote completely because I didn't get even. I voted for the animal welfare party uh, or whatever, and <laughs> I've got Farage. Yeah. yeah. So at least if you, if you yeah. I wanted to if save the chickens, and, and now win. they're all yeah. If, if you vote and you don't win, you can still go away thinking, well, I voted with my. I was true you know, to myself. Absolutely, totally, absolutely. Yeah. You can sleep at night. Yeah. yeah. That's how I feel during the Love Island vote. <laughs> I, don't, I can't do it tactically. You've just got to go who no, you believe yeah, in. Absolutely, of course. Or I'm a celeb probably is yeah. a more, is a more yeah, current yeah, reference, yeah. isn't it? Um, okay, so it's now that part of the podcast where everyone has to do their forecasts. So, Kate, what, what do you, what's going to happen next? We've got the debates coming up. Um, is Boris going to do it? Did you, anyone see this, that excruciatingly embarrassing 73 questions pastiche? I've that, only read about it. I haven't watched okay. it Have yet. you seen it? Apparently it's a direct lift from Vogue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just think leave it to Phoebe Waller-Bridge to do kind of funny 73 questions. <laughs> or Anna Winter, um, but so yeah. What do we th- like? What do you, how do you, are we just are the Tories going to kind of continue to dominate the dominate this with Brexit? What? I don't want to disappoint by not giving you a very clear answer. You're but too I have no idea how up. to give you a clear answer. Well, the, well, I mean, just I mean, after everything we've seen through 2016 to now, how on earth could somebody make a, a real prediction? But I wouldn't be surprised if we saw the um, support for some of those smaller parties fade away a bit. We've already seen it with the Brexit party. Um, And while the Liberal Democrats have a very, very clear position on Brexit, I actually think that 
when you go into these debates and when you see it all outlined quite clearly, the race between the conservatives and labor may become even more at the forefront of things. I, mm-hmm. I agree with Kate. Yeah. I think. Oh, guys, this is so 2010. No, Nick and David. I agree with Kate. I agree with Paul. Yeah. With come on. I mean, uh, today the Tories are on 42%, Labour's on 28%, and the Lib Dem num- uh, numbers have fallen away, and the um, Brexit Party's almost negligible now. Mm. Uh, so I, I, I see it being an old fashioned blue-red, two-horse race. But, as I said earlier on, there may be something that none of us have seen coming down the line and and an election can hinge on just a a moment Did you want to talk briefly about the EU army? And you wanted to mention the EU. You've got a conspiracy theory that it's a foot. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, Joe, uh, we were talking about this this morning. It it felt to me that, yeah, yeah. Um, Explain what happened yesterday, just to... In Brussels yesterday, we had a meeting of EU defence ministers, and they agreed to basically push on with 13 new joint European military cooperation programmes. Um, so I'm just flicking through my notes. So five of the new projects, um, there's an integrated European joint training and stimulation, simulation centre, <laughs> a special operations yes. forces medical training centre. Okay. Um there is uh, an electronic jamming weapon for aircraft, an anti-submarine... And in system. English, Joe, does this mean we're going to get an EU army in 2020, in 20 like, years' time? Yeah. What it's definitely moving towards, and I think most people agree, you can look at Charles Michel, Emmanuel Macron, they all want far more kind of foreign policy and integrated um, kind of defence and security thinking. And you only have to look at the comments from Emmanuel Macron who basically said NATO is suffering from brain death because yeah. of US unilateralism yeah. and Donald Trump. Um, and he basically said, look, that, this is a reason why we need more European defence sovereignty. It may have been coincidence, but uh, von der Leyen as well, and it, whether it was tied in, I don't know, was saying this morning um, that she felt that the EU should get more involved in um, like overseas issues. And it felt a bit like, a, like kind of American imperialism, <laughs> but in a European mm. way, and whether whether she was thinking that because she's going to be backed by the European NATO now, and she meant it in a humanitarian way and in an interventionist way, and you know, but still, um, that felt like a very strange thing for yeah. For a, it's making you nervous. I can tell all the Brexiteers are quivering. Yeah, this is scary rhetoric, isn't yeah. it? Well, I was just going to say it's a, it's an important reminder that. Um, you know, staying in the European Union or, say, rejoining the European Union at some point is not necessarily the package that you got before. That Europe has has always had, really, very different plans from the UK, and the UK has often been an outlier in the European Union about what it wants out of the agreement. And, uh, you know, those who just think, oh, yeah, no, let's just jump back in. It'll be just like it was back in the good old days. No, no, it's going to a different place. No, it's like going back to a, a former flame. <laughs> it's never a good idea, is it? You can't change them, or they may have changed without your without your permission Kate it's been wonderful having you on this Thanks podcast you're in great fun hardly <laughs> um you've been brilliant last week's podcast was very remain it was a Romaniac spin-off it was it was not good so thank you for bringing us back to where we're supposed to be um and to, de- and to delivering on the the vote three years ago 
Yeah. That's what we're all about. Um, have you got any exciting plans that you want to plug? Are you going on Question Time? Have you got a YouTube series coming out? Anything like that we should know about? Uh, um, well, tomorrow, uh, the IEA has a new report out, which is the sort of trifecta of dealing with um, foreign aid, the nanny state, and Ooh. waste and spending. Ooh. And uh, yeah, it's just been previewed in the sun today. And it's... Uh, Make sure we get a copy you can download. You can download it free on our website, <laughs> IEA.org.uk. And basically, we've been spending foreign aid money to promote the, prom- promote the nanny state mm. in developing countries and actually you know targeting kids in India to suggest that like some people might be too obese in India rather than actually suffering from malnutrition well, we're yeah. doing crazy stuff yeah. um, trying to monitor how much salt is going into home cooked food in China right. um, with the foreign aid that's budget. money well spent surely in yeah. anyone's language isn't so it? download that tomorrow Thursday on the IO website Absolutely. you'll like it yeah well, well you can quiz us on it next time you're on <laughs> um, no that sounds really interesting and thank you yeah. again for making the time to be with us because we're very grateful to have a celebrity in the ranks Not always, aren't at we? Oh, absolutely. Oh gosh, thanks for having me. Not at all. Paul, it's been an honour privilege. Thanks for always. showing up. Thank you. Don't know when we'll see you again, so <laughs> I, shan't, I, I'll, <laughs> I shan't hold my breath. And Joe, as always, thank you for being a voice of reason. <laughs> I try. And we will see you soon. Take care. Well done for making it to the end of an episode of Brexit The Final Countdown. If you're still enjoying the countdown, you can subscribe for free. And if you're really enjoying the countdown, you can also leave us a...